Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. On tonight's show, I've got Berman Invest Julia Lee and Adam Dore of Shoreham Partners to look at some laggard stocks that many investors have been preying on for a turnaround. They include Appen, A2Milk, Mesoblast, Lendlease, Pushpay, Splitit, and Uix, and more. And then Paul Rickard gives us three reliable income stocks for the cautious non-thrill seekers out there. That's the show ahead, so let's kick off with Julia Lee of Permanent Invest. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Great to be here, Pete. Now, I've thrown a few, uh, some people might call nasty, annoying stocks that haven't really delivered on their one-time promise. Let's kick off with them straight away with, uh, this is an interesting one. I don't think I've ever talked to you about this. Pure Foods Tasmania, PFT. And I was just thinking to myself, that, that company couldn't be doing well with Tasmania being closed down, but maybe I'm wrong. What's your view on this company? Uh, well, well, the food part's going well. I guess when I think of Pure Foods Tasmania, I get mixed up with Tasmania Pure Foods, which, of course, was dragged through the mud a bit with its Bellamy's relationship and Jack. Jan Cameron, um, but I think having a look at Pure Foods Tasmania and purely at the sales side, sales have been pretty impressive during COVID. I mean, if you have a look at some of the things that have uh, really helped sales, they have a pate product. Um, they have one where they package it together with the cheese as well that's been selling quite well. I think sales were up 19% there. They also do smoked fish. Um, so when you're looking at smoked salmon or smoked trout, they sell that and that's been growing very strongly. Um, that's been a key driver of the sales growth that they've seen. And recently they made an acquisition of an almond creamery business. So I'm looking at, I guess, the, the non-meat food area or the alternative uh, meat food area. Mm. Um, and that's been doing quite well as well. So, look, I have to say this one looks pretty interesting here. Um, I'd just be looking at it as relatively high risk and have a look to see where some whether some of those trends are reversed because, of course, now that we're stuck at home, we're eating a lot more pate at home and smoke <laughs> products at home um, and entertaining more at home as well. But given that lockdowns are coming to an end, just watching carefully to see whether sales are impacted. But I suspect all of those areas are probably growth areas, especially having a look at the, the fish side of things and also the almond side of things as well. Yeah, and I also thought, Julia, maybe, you know, the lack of tourists as well, because you, when you go to Tasmania, you tend to load up on the, the, the produce of the country. You buy their wines, you buy their, their foods and things like that. So there's probably been a, a bit of a marketing problem for them in the sense that the, the tourists haven't been flocking there like they often do when the place is open. Yeah, I mean, they distribute uh, most of their products through large distributors, so they are uh, available at Coles and the big supermarkets as well. So I guess it is about winning those big contracts, but you're right. I think um, looking at the, the trends into Tasmania um, might help in terms of brand awareness um, and just having a look at, I guess, increasing the type of market that it has for, for its products. I have to admit... Um, Pete, I, I think I was 18 or 19 when I first tasted pate and I just couldn't get my head around it for a number of years. And I guess if you're looking at the Asian market, it's all about that perception as well and trying to uh, break into it. But for the moment, it's all about those supermarket sales and, you know, 
that little bit of innovation, packaging the uh, pate together with the cheddar cheese has been a good one, which has helped to increase sales. And look, they've done very well. Um, in fact, just having a look at their last results and sales were uh, a record up by 137%. Mm. And, and knowing you the way I do, of course, when you were young, you wouldn't have been a wine drinker, but once you started <laughs> wine, it's cheese and then pate. Olives. <laughs> they, they all taste great now. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's get another one. I think this one is a company you and I have discussed in the past, had a fantastic run for a while, and so I'm sure some people are holding it, push pay. And you always made the point that the big, the big fish have been one. Now they have to sort of get the smaller fish, the smaller uh, congregations and smaller churches and things like that. What, what do you think this company is doing now? Yeah, I mean, I mean this isn't, I, I like the company. Um, the unusual thing is that during COVID-19 and the lockdowns, it looks like their competitors were growing at a much faster rate than push pay was. Um, but look, it does look like growth is back on the agenda. They're looking to capture, you know, 25% of the US Catholic Church. And recently they made an acquisition into the video streaming area, which of course makes lots of sense given that so many of us are, are either in lockdown and unable to, to go to church um, and and then an increased demand for um, going to church via the internet or via streaming. So I think that acquisition makes a lot of sense. Um, given that things are returning back to normal, I think the key here is to watch the sales growth to make sure that, um, you know, perhaps them getting a little bit behind compared to their competitors was just a COVID-19 impact. And given that lockdowns are really coming out now that we start to see that growth coming through, but they are still seeing some good growth rates coming through just watching to see um, whether some of their competitors um, are, are doing better and whether there is a competitive risk there. Um, but look, I'd be happy to put a little bit of money in this one, but keeping a close eye on it. Lindley's. <laughs> yes. I mean, Lendlease has been beaten down so far. I actually like the company here. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the things that uh, the market didn't like is that its return on equity measure or the return it gets on its capital um, was pushed out for a year. So it's aiming to get 8 to 11%, but it doesn't think that it's going to hit that until 2024. And to give you an idea where it's at at the moment, in 2021, I think it was something like 5.7%. So it's got a fair way to go in terms of trying to get those better returns. But on the flip side, you know, things are looking up in the property space. Um, at the centre of its uh, its strategy is probably those gateway communities. And certainly things are starting to pick up in those capital cities and business centres, which I think is a positive for Lendlease. And of course, having a look at some of its office um, structures as well, there's probably a bit more um, time needed before there's stabilisation in that area, given that we don't know how the office environment is going to settle back and whether there will be a decreased need for a leasing in that space. But at these type of prices, I'd, I'd have to say I'd be pretty happy buying it and stashing it in a drawer for a couple of years. And really, if they are able to execute on getting up to that return on equity of 8 to 11% um, by 2024, you know, you're looking at an increase from 56 Seven percent up to potentially eleven percent, which will be a key driver of the share price. Okay, now two one-time darlings, not so uh, much darlings anymore. Appen, um, are we seeing any positive signs for Appen? 
Yeah, I mean, recently we have seen the shares coming back, but that's uh, been the whole tech space. So if you have a look at the tech space, it was beaten down as interest rates were rising and the bond yields uh, longer term were rising. Um, and th then as that has eased back, um, we've seen the tech space coming back a bit. I think the bigger question for Appen is how is its longer term um, what its longer term outlook is like. And if you have a look at Appen at the moment, I think, um, you know, the last downgrade that they saw to their EBITDA expectations or earnings expectations, they're now expecting that for 2021, that they'll see earnings between 81 to $88 million. Previously, they'd been forecasting 83 to $90 million. But what that means is it means they really need to shoot the lights out in the second half because the first half of the year, they only saw earnings of $27.7 million, which means in the second half of the year, they need to make around about double that amount um, to hit their earnings guidance or, um, you know, we're going to see another downgrade. So extremely high expectations for the second half. Um, so extremely high risk, I think, in terms of app. And the other question mark I have over this company is it is in the area of artificial intelligence, but the bulk of its business is in data annotation, which means when you're looking at AI, um, it's very difficult to automatically label pictures and uh, data. Um, so a lot of that is manually done through labor and there are people around the world that do it and you'll often see the Appen, uh, the Appen advertisements for um, people to, to be able to do that for a workforce. Um, and I guess having a look at that, and there's been a lot of talk that um, some of the big tech giants are looking at their own, um, I guess their own artificial intelligence to automatically label data. And in fact, just watching Facebook very closely, um, which is thought to be one of Appen's major, um, major clients. And I guess the thing with Appen is that uh, the top five clients make up more than 90% of revenue. So if it loses one of that or sees a decrease in revenue from one of those clients, it does have a big impact. So watching this one carefully, I mean, it is high risk, um, but the shares have tumbled a lot of uh, a lot. The two concerns I have is whether it's able to meet guidance or we're going to see another downgrade coming through. Number two is more structurally, are we seeing a shift in that data annotation area from manual labour uh, to more automated? automation. Okay, finally, uh, A2 Milk, uh, if you didn't own A2 Milk and you, you're not in a, in a losing uh, situation, is this the time to buy and just keep your fingers crossed over the next 12 months? Yeah, I really want to say yes, because I've made so much money from A2 Milk in the past. Um, mm -hmm. I first bought into A2 Milk, I think at 49 and a half cents when it first hit the Australian market. But I don't think I'd be a buyer of A2 Milk here. And the reason for that is that the major growth engine for A2 Milk was really China. And in China, I think we have seen a fundamental shift where instead of preferring those overseas brands because of safety, because there have been some health scares with our Chinese, Chinese brand uh, baby formula. And we are seeing a push to um, pushing domestic brands. Um, and look, that, that seems to be working. So it's a lot harder for international brands to grow in China, especially A2 Milk, which does look like it's been losing ground. So look, A2 Milk, it's a recovery story here in Australia and New Zealand. But the other thing I suspect is, you know, when you're going into lockdown, 
And not only do you stockpile toilet paper, but if you have a baby, you probably stockpile a couple of uh, tins of baby formula as well. So just looking to see whether that recovery is going to be a little bit slow. And look, I probably wouldn't be buying A2 Milky. I think there are better opportunities in terms of the market and mainly due to that fundamental shift in China away from international brands and that refocus in on selling domestic brands. Okay. Well, Julia, as always, thanks for your analysis. See you thanks. next week. Thanks, Pete. Well, Adam Dawes of Shuram Partners joins us now. Thanks, Adam. Yes. Good afternoon, Peter. What a great day today. Yeah. Well, the market was up. Uh, didn't instantly go up. I thought it'd do a lot better given the positivity on Wall Street on Friday. But do you often find that our market is a little bit timid until they see what the Yanks do on Monday night? Yeah, and even watching the US futures as well, we sort of uh, we hold back a little bit for some of that international buying till around about 2.30 in the afternoon where we can see or get a real clear indication on how the uh, US futures are going and then we sort of jump in. So, yeah, absolutely, we're, we're very timid, but certainly the gold stocks did well today. Um, some of the travel stocks did well. Uh, and, you know, it was it was a good day, a good good start to the week. Okay. I've asked you to look at some stocks that, you know, a lot of people have fallen into over the years. And I think the classic <laughs> one is Mesoblast. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, some people bought at the highs, but some people bought, you know, around the $3.20 mark when it was falling, and they've been shocked that it's kept on falling. So I thought it would be interesting to see, you know, what's your view on some of these companies? Let's start with Mesoblast. What do you think is going on there? Yeah, look, this is an interesting one. And for all the viewers playing at home, this is one that's too volatile for me. So I, I will I'll be very much saying that I, I, I sort of sit back and watch this one with interest, but I don't play in it because it is a very, very volatile stock. But certainly um, they've got a lot of cash in the bank. As of June 30, they've got, uh, they had around 136 million in the bank. So that's certainly, you would think, a lot. But going through the comments and looking at this stock, and I'm always worried about a biotech, you obviously need to keep up what's going on in their cash side of things. But look, they've also said in that that $136 million isn't going to last them very long, so that they're going to have to then potentially raise some more money. And I think that's what the market's waiting for is that next raise before they potentially look at it. The stock's obviously been very volatile going backwards and forwards, but now it's started to move sideways and just sort of trade in sort of a, a shorter range. They do have their AGM on the 30th of November. So anybody who wants to have a listen uh, should definitely listen to this. But also any shareholders, I'm always saying this around this time of the year, every year, make sure that if you are a shareholder, you vote. Make sure you go in there, you look at the remuneration reports from the directors, you look at that, how the stock's performed, and you make sure you vote because your vote actually counts and can make a difference. And I think no matter if you hold one share or you hold 10% of the company, it's very, very important that you vote. So this one for me, uh, 136 mil, they're going to need to do another raise. Um, the technology is there, but it's a, the FDA didn't get approved. And the problem is with uh, biotech is that it's a binary outcome. It either happens, yes, it meets endpoint and the stock moves higher. No, it doesn't and the stock goes lower. FDA came out and said, no, the stock's fallen. It's now sideways motion. Let's wait until the 30th of November to get a bit of a clearer indication on where the company's going. And that's probably my catalyst to potentially look at uh, investing more into this one. Yeah. I also think the company could do a lot more to communicate to the market. Like, for example, uh, the market would like to know when is the next FDA test? 
Yeah, well, and, and by the way, I feel sorry for them in many ways because I think their last FDA test, nine out of ten um, in the president said yes, it should be approved. Correct, and correct. The one dissenter influenced FDA. And so you can see why a lot of people piled into it when the price was falling. But still, you, you make the point, it's a speculating stock and Very much that. you're running a risk. What about Newix? Newix is a company that looked fantastic, management got in a lot of trouble, share price falls. I do suspect one day it'll bounce back, but it's going to have to sort of prove itself to the market, isn't it? Very much so. And, and really, uh, the confidence is not there in Newix at the moment, especially because this business is a, an investigative analytics business for intelligence software. Basically, pulling out or finding truth in the digital world is exact their comments. And obviously, the truth is that they uh, had some problems at a director level, they had some problems at a company level, and then that, that's all been washed through. Now, the stock did rally about a week and a half ago, and we're all sort of scratching our head on no news why it rallied. I still don't know why it rallied, but then it's now started to come back down to sort of those levels where it comes from. Um, look, I'd be I'd be really cautious on this one as well. Uh, there's a lot more water to go under the bridge on this one. I'd like to see uh, a little bit more understanding. AGM, again, is going to be a fantastic one. And in fact, I might log in and have a bit of a listen because mm -hmm. again, shareholders are going to get those rotten tomatoes and they get ready to throw them because there's going to be some hard questions uh, be answered. So they're lucky that it's all online and it's <laughs> and they can probably <laughs> mute some of those people that they don't want to, they don't want to listen to. But right. look, certainly that one, I, I'd be cautious going forward. It needs to get Get some more confidence in the market before and look even if it gets to say three bucks to five bucks i miss out on that initial rally i'm comfortable then to get in because i know that some of these problems have been worked through so yeah i'll be cautious on that one agm again will be another uh, one for me to have a look at uh, what's going on with this company okay now, this is an interesting one atomo diagnostics at1 now i i know a lot of people got into this one because there's a press release out that uh, none other than bill gates and Lang Walker were significant shareholders in Atomo Diagnostics. Yes. Uh, and they went up then and then it went down. And still going lower. Yeah. And is, yeah. There, is there any sign, like, uh, uh, look, is there any sign that there's any, any positive news for this company? So, yes and no. Uh, rapid antigen testing sales fundamentally have done very, very well. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, they did get um, they did get uh, basically uh, an agreement uh, from uh, Access Bio, the right to exceed or right to order uh, 20 million COVID-19 rapid antigen testings, and that uh, gave them about 1.7 million dollars of US money that came in the door. So that that I think was a real positive. Their HIV business obviously does quite well, um, and they're looking to do some more HIV testing kits. Again, that has done well. Cash in the bank is around about 2.2 million, sorry, from the quarter. But overall, they've got about 15 million in the bank. So I don't suspect they need to raise anything anytime soon. But, you know, it was all about COVID and potentially COVID. I know you're in Melbourne there, which is still getting over a thousand cases, but uh, potentially COVID is, it's not finished, but that that trade has finished, I feel. Uh, we, we, the market's moved on. And uh, you need to be quick in these things. I just think that the the rapid antigen testing. There's so many of these these uh, these tests now starting to come out. 
Uh, as you know, Pfizer's looking at a pill. Merck's got a, you know, all of these things. Uh, uh, you know, so I'd be cautious on this one. I don't think you need to be there. Yeah, part of the reason why I asked the question was because that magic pill that Pfizer was talking about on the weekend has some link to HIV, and these guys really were in the HIV space, and they kind of pivoted yeah. to to try and use help help out with COVID. And yeah. I thought maybe there could be something happening going on, but yeah, it's once again, the, all three are high risk stocks, and they're not really showing you enough to jump in yet. And their, their time in the sun has already happened. So market's very fickle. It moves on very quickly. And if, like you said, people have fallen into this stock or they've heard something and then they haven't sold or they're not fitting with their trading rules, you know, your trading rules, if it's down 15, 20%, get out. But then they, they start to get an emotional attachment to it, those kinds of things. You need to be really careful about that because then you can be holding a portfolio of dogs, which were all good one day, but not now. So you know, you need to be you need to be careful. And the next business we're going to talk about is probably potentially one of those ones that people are uh, emotionally charged about, or even the sector they're emotionally charged about. Okay, so let's go to split it now. Split it. Such a great name. It really <laughs> hasn't delivered on its promise, has it? No, it hasn't. And, and uh, I was reading some articles before uh, today, trying to get my head around uh, the business again. My first problem is with this. I guess the sector, if you take a step back, the sector, it is a crowded sector now. Mm. And the problem is with it, when you get a crowded sector, yes, you've got your, your, your leaders, Afterpay, which is which is, is a square stock now. So, you know, be honest, that's that's leaving. Mm. Then you've got Zip. And then you've got just this, you know, long tail of companies that are trying to get themselves going forward. And we, we've, got a, we've got a company that we're listing in a couple of weeks before pay. Again, as a buy now, pay later business, and I think this sector is looking very, very full uh, at the moment. So, Split It has said that they, um, with I think they lost their CEO, and they're sort of in an interim CEO at the moment. Mm. But uh, they basically said that they've been hamstrung by the failure to articulate the differences that this company has compared to others. So, mm. you know, you sort of get put into this bucket. And then you move on. I think the technology is absolutely fantastic for Split It. Certainly, uh, they've done very, very well in the technology, but the job of getting that message out to investors or into the wider audience has been very, very tough for yeah. them. So the total transactional value was up 31% on the year to 93 million, and with merchant numbers growing about 85% to 1,200. That's pretty low compared to some of the other ones like Zip, who's putting on you know, a thousand customers a day kind of thing. These guys are sort of still slowing down. They are talking about a NASDAQ listing. Potentially that might get a little bit of excitement about that. But look, they're, they're looking and they're saying they're looking for bigger merchants. They're, they've done a, a deal with Google in, uh, I think it was uh, in one of their platforms, they've done a deal with Google. But really at the end of the day, uh, I'm a little bit cautious. The sector's way too full. There's too many plays in there. Yes, there might be some consolidation. Yes, but all of them are pretty strapped for cash at the moment because it's a growth story, and this market is potentially looking less like the growth story, more like the value story coming into the closer to the year end. It's funny you should say that. You know, they really need to tell their story better. Well, you know. Uh, no one's ever contacted me. The CEO's never got on the show to explain to the investors out there what the potential is for the company. There That's you go. The job of the person who leads the business, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it needs to be a simple story, which I think it is. Yeah. But 
yeah, he, and even they've agreed that that that, that story is is getting lost amongst mm-hmm. all the other players, and 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 hence not getting the attention it needs. In fact, you and I have done more more work to help split it than the people <laughs> paid to do it. All right, let's go to the, the final one. This is another interesting company, but this is nothing like the others. This is this was once regarded as the best of breed in the space, and yep. it had a few curveballs thrown at. My, and, and we've seen some uh, weeks where it spiked up, but that gain, that turnaround hasn't happened yet. A2 yes. Milk. Where, where are you on A2 Milk right now? I'm still a buyer of A2. Uh, I bought some last week. I uh, A guy from on my desk came to me today and he said, I had a dream that A2 Milk was taken over. I said, great. <laughs> And I think that's what the market's waiting for. I think that we are all hoping that this one is a takeover and that could be the catalyst for A2 Milk to start to re-rate. The other side of it is that when we do start to accept some international passengers coming in, the Digals potentially might start coming back. And that's the problem with this one. We thought that they had the revenue from Australia and New Zealand and they didn't need the Chinese and they didn't need the Digal buyers out there. But all of a sudden, guess what happened? When everything got locked down, we found out that those diagals were really, really propping up this business. And hence, we're from 15 higher, $18 down to sort of $6 where it is today. So, look, I think I think the worst is over on this one. I think it's moving quite nicely. We've had a couple of downgrades. We've had management change. It's ticked all the boxes on the way down. It starts to look pretty good here. But the revenue, the five-year revenue target does look a little bit shaky at the moment, and they just need to get sort of that that press or I guess those margins to tighten up a bit. But, look, my fingers crossed, my toes are crossed, <laughs> everything else that I could cross, my tyres crossed. Uh, I want us to see this being a takeover target. One day we're going to wake up and it's going to happen. Yeah. And, look, it will be all vindicated. But um, at the moment, uh, we're only hopeful. Okay, and you might have a few clients who are cross as well. That's no, come to fruition. I'm sure I've got some viewers that same boat as well. But Absolutely. I do. One day it will turn around. But sometimes you have to be patient. You know, a, a lot of us want when we, when we invest, we want returns. You know, within the month or two months and yes. maybe six months. But really, it might just need a year or two. But then yeah. when it comes, it could be a really good return. Yeah, I agree. I'm long at $10 on this on myself, PA. I bought some more the other day. Uh, I've got clients in it. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're holding for, for better times on this one. I'm in the money in my super fund, in my other fund I'm not, and I really yeah. wish I just waited <laughs> like I did the super fund. But still, I think the, the future is good for a company like this. Uh, Adam Dawes, thanks for joining us. See you in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks, Peter. Take care. Well, joining me now is Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report, and he wants to talk about income stocks in particular. Paul, what's your research pointed you towards? What stocks look good? Look, I like um, stocks that produce income, Peter. I like stocks that also don't have a lot of volatility and so mm-hmm. have some annuity-style characteristics. Yeah. I look for some income stocks um, outside the usual suspects, which, of course, are the banks and, and Telstra. Oh, those top and some 20 stocks, yeah. yeah. look, something that's a little bit different. The, the first one, I'll, I'll go through five ideas for you, okay. um, or at least a couple. The first one's Amcor. Now, you know, I might not think of Amcor as an income stock, mm. 
But as you know, really a major packaging business now, particularly with so much of its business in the United States, um, it's actually been out of show in the last couple of years since it bought uh, the company there that uh, it actually produces a very reliable quarterly dividend. It's yielding about 4% better. Uh, hasn't been a lot of volatility in earnings. In fact, earnings have been going up. It's yeah. forecast uh, EPS growth this year between 7 and 11%. Uh, I reckon it's got both growth and, and income characteristics. Now, a, lot but, of the, a lot of the experts like Amcor, don't they? Yeah, and it, it, it's been pretty steady this year, trading between about $15 and $17. It's currently in sort of the low 16s. Uh, reported well last week for well on, on, on expectation for its quarterly profit. Mm. Um, and so I think there's a lot of upside with Amcor, particularly as an income side. Um, so that's probably number one. Okay, before we go, a lot of people hear about Amcor and they know it's in packaging. Was there, you know the history of Amcor or are you just a, yeah, well, it's, a money watcher? No, no, I'm, I've actually been an Amcor shareholder for decades, better, yeah. because it's been around for a long, long time. Yeah. But it's now, you know, 60 or 70% of its, of its earnings are offshore. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know... It, was it always called Amcor? It was... For the better part of the last decade and a half, it's been <laughs> called Amcor. I can't think what it was called before. Yeah, I'm thinking like Vizzy, Vizzy comes from the Pratt family. Well, it's a different sort of packaging, right? Yeah. Vizzy is much more in cardboard and stuff. Because and, they're and in the States as well, aren't they? They are, but they're, they're, they're not a competitor of Amcor, which mm. is a different sort of packaging. The biggest negative Amcor has, has probably, Peter, is over the sustainable packaging mm. uh, and the pressure from a lot of the companies. And Amcor does a lot in terms of the consumer goods space, so particularly so around fresh food. Yeah, but in terms of how you make the packaging more sustainable. Ample's got targets in terms of uh, making all its packaging sustainable by 2025. It's a lot of companies have that. Mm. Uh, so that's probably about the negative. But that said, um, you know, with very strong US economy, uh, very strong local economy, um, Ample's going great places. Yeah, and, and in the world where delivery of packages are really, really important, you think it's a, it's a good interest to be in. Okay, what's your second one? Well, another one, and just I'll, I'll probably just do three. I'll do it one at the other extremes. This is one of been one of my favourites for a long time. It's uh, Medibank. Okay. Uh, probably getting a little, is he going to bore the pants off with probably, these stocks? Or it's what? probably getting a touch expensive, Peter. But yeah. the thing I really like about Medibank is being able to do done do three things really well. It's being able to grow its customer base. Yeah. It's being able to grow the market share. And it's being able to cut costs yeah. all at the same time. Now, they've only got young people coming to it. They, they do, but I think what people forget is that. You know, in, in private health insurance, there are more than 40 insurers. Mm. They're the market leader with a share of about 27.3%. And when you're the market leader with that much share in a market with lots and lots of competitors, it's really hard to increase share. Mm. And Medibank has actually been able to do it. Yeah. And in the last 12 months, for the first time since 2013, they actually grew their policyholders in their main Medibank brand. They also mm. own a sort of a youngster brand called AHM. Mm. That's a little bit... I won't say it's a discount health insurance brand. Peter, it's like Jetstar, isn't it? It's a, it's a <laughs> bit like the Jetstar. That analogy probably takes it a little bit too far, but AHM is for okay, uh, well, well. You know, a different sort of market. Yeah. Uh, and what's been happening to, in Medibank for the first time last year, they actually grew customers in their main brand. So mm. big achievement, and they and they cut their management expense ratio. And that's the, that's the percentage of every dollar in premium income mm. that goes into overhead and uh, staff yeah. costs and all those sort of things. Yeah. That came down. So... I think that's a really good stock, yielding about 4%. It's probably pretty fully priced, so it might be a stock you sort of wait for a bit of a market pullback. Yeah. Uh, it's been trading in a very narrow range between about um, uh, 350 and $4. Mm. But Sorry, between about um, uh, just just below $3 and just over $3. Mm. It's now about $340. Around so $3. Yeah, around $3, but very tight range if you look over the 
historically. Yeah. Not volatile at all, Peter. Yeah. So uh, a good stock. And one of is interesting, ladies and gentlemen, if, if you watch Paul Ricard carefully, and in a sense, I've been forced to do this for over a decade, and I've worked with, with Paul for over a decade, is that he invariably will go for the best of breed in industry in the industry. So if he if he did go to after in, into buy now pay later, you would go to after. You've always been CBA first. You've always been Medibank uh, first. You tend, and it is a very good investment strategy, particularly if markets sell off big time and you want a chance to get at the companies that you haven't got. If you go for best of breed historically, it's a very good strategy. And I, and I would not necessarily have said a couple of years ago that Medibank was best of breed. I think um, NIB mm. might have had, had yeah, that's that true. title. That's a good company. But I just Medibank's is sort of a scale bigger, yeah. um, about double the size. And of course, NRB is a good company too. It probably got a bit expensive. So I just think Medibank is, uh, it really happened under the previous CEO, Craig Drummond. They've got mm -hmm. a new CEO. They've been a carry through the, the, the leadership. And uh, I think they're killing the other brands. Okay. So. so, so far you've given us two very good stocks not exciting. Is the third one going to be a little bit exciting? No, it's going to be less, well, I don't think it'd be less exciting than private health insurance. Uh, that's Medibank. Uh, the third one's going to be the Charter Hall uh, Long Whale REIT. That's better. That's that's, better. And it's called Long Whale, but Whale is uh, the W-A-L-E, which stands for Weighted Average Lease Expiry. Uh, and that means that the, the tenants it contracts with um, all have sort of 10 plus years. Yeah, they're there for a long time. They're there. Paying Tip rent. Typically government or, you know, things like uh, logistics companies on the service stations, you know, they, they're very long-term rents. Uh, could also be things like uh, telco exchanges where you've got Telstra and those sort of people, yeah. they rent them, they, they lease them back on, on good REIT, rent payers. On good rent payers. So this is a, a REIT that's done really well. It's yielding about 6%, just a little bit over 6%. It's about $4.90. Um, they've done a few acquisitions. They've recently... Um, Announced another acquisition, so that's probably the only downside. But trading below NTA, mm -hmm. um, don't expect. Explain what NTA. Is. Yeah, Some so, normal people would know NTA. So is. NTA is net tangible asset value. In other words, that's what happens if the property trust could sell all the assets yeah. it had yeah. uh, at, at market value. You know, what would unit holders actually get paid mm. if if the trust was wound up? Remember, it is just a trust. It just owns financial assets, effectively. Mm. You know, a building that's a financial asset or a type of financial mm. asset. And, and so funds are like that as well. Funds are like that. So yeah. NTA is a really important concept to uh, have in your back of your mind and to look at when you're mm. buying a, a trust or you're buying a listed investment company or something that just owns assets, other financial assets, have a look at the NTA. That's what sort of gives you an idea whether you're paying too much or too little. Now, mm. it doesn't mean that you can't pay more than the NTA. Often you, you might want to do that, but it's just an, an, another data point that can mm. be really important. But you said in this case there... Mark, the unit price is below NTA. Yeah, it's, it's below so NTA. You're buying in a possibility with one day that might go above it. Yeah, and uh, I think that, that they're running a pretty good business. So uh, that's Charter Hall, Longwell REIT. M main negative around those sort of investments at the moment is they're quite heavily geared. So gearing's gone up to just over 40%. If bond rates, you know, go up, these these sort of investments will, will get hurt. But, you know, that's, that doesn't mean they have to refinance straight away. In fact, there's no refinancing due at Charter Hall, Longwell REIT for at least a couple of years. But in due course, you know, they're going to have to roll the money off. And sometimes the market just sort of gets ahead of the curve. Head, head of the curve. Uh, and we've seen that before. So, but that know, can be a buying opportunity. That could be a buying opportunity. Now, we've had, if you look at what's happened in bond yields, they've gone up and they've come back yeah. again. Yeah. So, you know, on the course of the year, there's not really that much going on. Now, you and I have probably have talked about bond yields longer term, we think are going up, but 
they seem to be, you know, if you look at the last month or so, they've actually come screaming back again. Yeah. So well, and before it does get down to that bit, is the inflation, particularly in the US, transitory or is it locked in? If it's transitory, then bond yields will come off. If it's permanent, they'll go up. I think at the moment, there's a little bit of favour towards transitory because of some of the numbers we saw over the weekend. And strangely, you know, the, the tapering in the, in the US is actually probably a long-term positive because although it's actually going to mean that the market's going to have to find a home for all the US government budget deficit, it might just mean put a break on that, right? Because mm. if suddenly, you know, the Fed's buying all the bonds and it's got to go to the market, the administration might think a little bit harder about how much you borrow. So yeah. it's interesting that yeah, since you got that sort of announcement, actually bond yields have come down. When yeah. you expect, often the case with markets, you know, it's buy the rumour, sell the fact. In this case, you know, they sold it up ahead of the, the tapering announcement. As soon as tapering came, oh, hang on, the yeah. bond yields have come down. Trying, so, to, trying to second guess the market can be a very big mistake. Paul, one last question. Tomorrow, NAB does its show and tell. Tell people what the show and tell is. Yeah, so this is NAB's uh, full-year profit result. We've already had um, um, ANZ and Westpac. ANZ was about as expected, uh, but probably the negative on ANZ was that the home loans went backwards, didn't grow. Westpac was a bit of a disaster. No one was expecting Westpac to be as bad as it was. And it was, it was when I say it was a disaster, look, that's... This wasn't as good as expected. It, well, it was bad on two... two, two Two counts. First of all, their net interest margin deteriorated yeah. really badly, which meant basically that they've been sort of chasing market share by sort of trading off price. So a lot of, uh, you know, in the, in the home loan market in particular, yeah. they've been writing a lot of fixed rate loans, which carry a lower margin than the so-called variable rate loans, mm -hmm. and so their margin came down. And they gave out some pretty negative signs in terms of what the margin would be going forward. The other thing, of course, was their costs went up. Now, we know that Westpac is investing a lot in things like financial crime and all those sort of things, but they have also... Stopping financial crime. Sorry, <laughs> investing <laughs> to stop... In financial crime. Sorry, um, correction, yes, important <laughs> correction, investing to stop financial crime, and that means right. a lot of extra compliance people and right. costs. Their business as usual costs went up too. Yeah. And this is from a group that's allegedly targeting taking its cost base from something like about $13 billion down to $8 billion by the end of 2024. Mm. So that, that was a big, big no-no. So tomorrow, uh, National Australia Bank, it's the last of the major three to report its full-year profit result. Uh, market, I think, is probably, you know, you and I have been a bit keen on the National Australia mm. Bank. Ross McEwen's now been there two or three years to, to start to make his mark. We'll be looking for, to, for, for growth to see whether their mortgage book is up, um, also whether their business, how, what impact the COVID's had on their business operations. But apart from that, it was a very clean first half result. We're expecting a clean result tomorrow, not too much new pressure. And the market, I guess, goes into the net results saying it should be good. Um, the proof will be in the eating, but that's tomorrow morning. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the outlook says that uh, they're saying there's to some inquiries from business, business loans and things like that which may be a bit slow now because lockdown's been a problem. But I do believe we in the 2022 business will get more excited because uh, they might need machines to replace workers because they're a bit short of workers, aren't they? They might indeed. So that's a big thing for our market. Now, if, if NAB you know, is a bit more like the ANZ result, then I think the market can sort of take bank stocks bank stocks high and, and put Westpac down to just a one-off, yeah. you know, a competition thing. And, um, you know, but we've, we've seen, you know, the market wants to go higher. It needs a key part of that is that the banks have got to 
be part of it. Yeah. Otherwise, it'll, it'll be challenging. Okay, that's Paul Rico from the Switzer Report. That's the show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. And if you need more information about stocks you want to invest in, have a look at the switzerreport.com.au website. A lot of additional analysis on different companies you'll find there on that particular website. Thanks for joining us. See you on Thursday night.